Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. When I was a kid, my family spent a lot of time on the shore of Dunning Lake at Winding Trails in Farmington. There, I would not venture out to swim. No, I would go in search of cigarette butts. When I would find one, it felt like a little present. I would slowly peel and unwrap the filter. It was similar to how it felt to peel the paper off of an ice cream cone. And then I would examine the soft, cottony, plasticky filter. It felt like a seed that I'd liberated from its shell. And then I would put it in my mouth and chew. Not just once. I would do it every time we would visit Dunning Lake. Now, as uncomfortable as this is to imagine, it's also not entirely uncommon. Kids, especially, explore the world with their whole bodies, including their mouths. They may eat dirt, crayons, hair, chalk, paper. But when the kid is over two years old, and they're still doing it on a regular basis, it's possible they have an eating disorder called pica, which is the Latin name for the magpie, a bird who is known for its unusual eating behaviors. Pica affects up to 30% of children ages 1 to 6, and it's not uncommon that these children also have developmental or intellectual disabilities, as well as OCD. Now, most of the time, the symptoms are manageable, and they go away on their own, like it went away from me. But sometimes it doesn't, like for 11-year-old Cameron, who had to have surgery because he ate magnets and screws. You'll meet him and his mom, Shannon, in a little bit, as well as a researcher who did a study with parents of kindergartners to try to understand how pica manifests in children. And it's not only kids. Sometimes pregnant women develop it, too. Because the volume of blood rises during pregnancy, iron levels may dip, a condition called anemia. And if this isn't corrected with supplements, sometimes pregnant women eat things like rocks. Usually this goes away after pregnancy, but for Teresa Widener, after giving birth, the condition didn't stop. Every day, for 20 years, she ate up to two pounds of rocks. I asked her to bring me back to when it first started. I was probably like 23 or 24. I was pregnant with my first child. I smelled an earthy smell, and I saw the rocks there, and I just picked one up and tasted it. Was there a part of you that's like, what is going on? Why am I, why do I want this? Yeah, there was a part of me that said that. But um, like I said, the earthy smell and um, it just drew me in. So, And it's one thing to do it maybe while you're pregnant and your body's hormones are doing all sorts of stuff. But this continued for you, yeah? Yes, it continued for me um, on up for like at least 20 years. I have finally stopped now. When did you stop? I stopped um, about 10 years ago. I have my granddaughter who passed away three years ago. I had custody of her. And for my health benefits, I was raising her. I decided to stop. 
How would you choose which rocks to eat? Was there a certain kind or do they are they all equal opportunity <laughs> possibilities? No, um, there is a certain kind. It's like a shell rock. Um, they still make a noise like when I bite down on them. And I did take a hammer to them sometimes, but they're not as hard as like a regular rock, like a gravel you go out here and pick out in the driveway. So it's a certain kind of rock. I actually, in my um, houseplants, I always put a, a rock in each houseplant. And so before getting together with you, I grabbed three different kinds of rocks. One is sort of this black, shiny rock with spots on it. And another is this sort of granite looking rock. And another looks sort of marbly. If you were to see any of these three, not none of them would be contenders, right? Not really. The granite rock looks more of the kind, though. Huh. Did you have one place where you could find the kind of rock that you would eat? At my mom's house, there was a bank there. But then when I moved um, to Bedford, Virginia, I also found a bank here in Bedford that had the same kind of rock. Will you take me through what it was like for you? So you would identify the rock as the rock that appealed most to you. And, and then what would you do? When, when I lived here in Bedford, um, it was on the side of a like not real busy road, but it was a busy road. So I would pull over and just act like, I had car problems or something like that because um, people would think I was crazy, but I'd have a bag with me and I'd go to the bank and just start picking up the rocks. And when cars would come, I'd stop sometimes. So when would you start eating them and how would you break them up? Usually when I got home, um, I'd start eating them, not in the car. I have ate them in the car before, but like a lot of times I had gotten, well, not a lot, but a few times I had gotten choked. So wait a minute. A what? Were you alone? Yes. So um, I quit doing that as much. So. so when you would gather the rocks on the side of the road, hop in your car, head home, what would what would happen next? I'd most likely keep them in the bag and um, just go to the bag when I needed one. I did take some and crush them, and I had a little pill bottle that I kept them in, like a prescription kind of, so... So you would break them up. How would you break them up? With the hammer. On my kitchen counters. And then you would put them in the pill bottle. Did it feel like that to you? Did it feel like medication? In a way it did, yes. I had pretty much always had an iron deficiency. And I guess like you said, when I was pregnant, I guess it was a little bit more with my hormones also. When I picture eating rocks, I picture pain. I picture pain in my mouth. I picture pain in my stomach. What What was it like sensually for you? I didn't have any pain. Um, my teeth have not always been the best, but it was not because of the rocks. I, growing up, my parents didn't really teach me about taking care of my teeth and things like that. So my teeth had always been a problem for me. And the rocks didn't really have anything to do with what had happened to my teeth. So... How small would you have to make the bits of rock? Because, you know, like if it's sand, that's one thing, you know, you can kind of swish it around, I guess. But if it's, you know, a big chunk, like how, what size are we talking? Would you break them up into? Probably like the size of a nickel or a quarter, maybe bigger than that, a 50 cent piece or so. And then you would just sort of gnaw on it like a Necco wafer or something? I'd just like put them in my mouth and crunch on them. And I had some teeth that are, like pretty strong. And when I gnawed on it, it just actually broke the rock. Was any of it satisfying? Yes, it was satisfying. Um, 
the crunch and was satisfying to me. So, how did it taste? It tastes um, kind of like what I would think a little bit different than dirt, but kind of like something to do with the earth. And that gave me satisfaction. How many would you eat in a day? Or how would you even like gauge how much you ate in a day? I didn't really gauge how many I ate in a day. It's just what I felt like eating in a day. So um, I'd have them just whenever I felt like it. And to me too, but sometimes I got a headache. And if I had rock, it would help me with the headache. So how did it feel in your stomach? Did you have any sort of reaction to it there? No, I didn't. You got married in 2012. You, you've said you, you started eating fewer rocks after your marriage. Do you think that love sort of helped? Yeah, it did. Because like what I said with my husband and then getting custody of my granddaughter, love was a big part of it. So, What happened in your life that caused you to eat fewer and fewer and eventually no more rocks at all? My granddaughter was born with some health problems and she um, lost her leg to a blood clot when she was two months old. And then she lost a kidney to kidney cancer. She was on a ventilator, trait, and G2 dependent. And we had nursing here on and off, but not all the time. So I had a great deal of responsibility taking care of her. And she had my whole heart and the rocks just didn't mean as much to me anymore so but she did pass away in 2020 and this year she would have been 10 years old she was seven when she passed away so I'm very sorry yeah I'm dealing a lot with depression issues now and I'm going to therapy for that good I'm glad you're able to take care of yourself thank you so today it's March 2023 when you see these rocks, these particular rocks, what do you feel? Are you, are you still attached to them in any way? I'm still attached to them. And sometimes I feel like now because of her death that maybe I might need them again. But um, um, addiction runs in my family, too. My daddy died at 41 from alcohol abuse and he had cirrhosis of the liver. And sometimes I'm tempted to also drink. So um, it's just really hard for me to, to decide what to do. And. That's why I am glad that I am going to therapy because losing a child is a very hard thing to do, especially at the age that she passed away and and as much responsibility as I had in, t in caring for her. I miss that every day because, like I said, it was a lot to do every day with her. And now that um, my husband doesn't live with me any longer either, um, we're still married, but we're separated. And with me being here by myself, it's just a lot on me, so... And rocks are freaking everywhere, you know, like yes. you are constantly surrounded by these things. Yes, ma'am. How many people in your life totally understand what you're going through and love you? And that's it. They just totally love you. How many people do you have like that? My family loves me no matter what. And they understand what, I, what I'm going through now and what I was going through. My kids had a hard time with me eating rocks because they had lost their father earlier in their lives and they didn't want to lose me but I think they also knew that with my anemia and they understood about the pica also what are the ways that people have misunderstood you how have they treated you I just feel like people 
misjudge me and don't try to take the time to get to know you as a person. They just like to poke fun at you. So if you could sort of take the world by the shoulders and shake everybody and correct them about what you've been going through, what would you say? I guess that I'm a person and that I think a lot of people hide things that they do. I have a pica. I had a health issue and think about things before you say them. I think you should not judge people as quickly as you do. So, For people who are listening to this conversation now and they have, they have their own struggles that are maybe similar to yours, what would you say to them? Just to be yourself and not to be ashamed of yourself. And if you need help, ask for help. So, How are you feeling today? Um, today I'm okay. I'm kind of emotional since I'm talking about everything, mainly because of my granddaughter and um, the loss of her is still new to me. And the eating rocks, like I said, it's, it brings up me raising her and it just is hard in general. So, Do you feel like, in a way, you have been simplified into the lady who eats rocks, and that's all you are. Yes, um, people um, that see me sometimes in town will be like, didn't I see you on TV? Aren't you that lady who eats rocks? And yeah, but my name is Teresa, and it's called a pica, so. And sometimes I even joke about it. I'm like, yeah, I said I eat pop rocks, and it used to be um, some soda that was something rock, and I'd be like, Anything that's rock, Rocky Road, ice cream. So I try to joke about it myself, but in a way, it does still hurt my feelings that people just assume, yeah, you're that lady that eats rocks. So, Has there ever been any other thing like rocks that you've been interested in or have eaten that's not common? That's that's pica. Well, I tried dirt and I tried um, cigarette ashes, which that was very nasty, but um they didn't give me the same feel as the rocks did. So um, the dirt is okay. And I've heard a lot of women in especially North Carolina ate red clay and things like that. So um, I don't think, like I said, I think a lot of people hide what they do and they feel ashamed of it. So be proud of who you are, I think. so. You just reminded me, and I haven't thought of this in years, when I was a little kid, uh, we would go to Winding Trails which is like a beach, little hiking, camping area. And I would eat cigarette butts. As many as I could find when I was a kid. I have no idea why. Yes, a lot of things you don't know why you did it. Like the rocks, I really don't know why I started it, but it just started and then it continued. Teresa Widener, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome, and I thank you for joining me. When we get back what a researcher found out about pica after studying 600 kindergartners, and what it felt like for Cameron Litchfield to find out he had to have surgery after eating magnets and screws. As soon as I heard that I'd need surgery, time just like stopped. I was like, I'm scared. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. 
Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're talking about pica. It's a condition where people, usually kids, but sometimes adults, regularly eat inedible objects. Later, you'll meet an 11-year-old and his mom and find out how life has been different since he had surgery after eating magnets and screws. Now, there have been very few studies about pica, and one of them was co-authored by Sigita Lesinskina. She's a child and adolescent psychiatry consultant at the Ministry of Health in Lithuania, and she's a professor of child and adolescent psychiatry at Vilnius University. She and her team created an anonymous online questionnaire for parents or guardians of children aged 3 to 6 in their country. They asked questions about the peculiarities of their child's eating habits and any perceived sensory sensitivities. Sigita found out that a total of 3.7% of participants indicated that their child ate non-nutritious, non-food substances. So what else did she find out about PICA? It's so complex that it's difficult then to research and to have one brief answer to this, but that it is related field to sensory stimulus, to how our body integrate sensory stimulation, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, how we perceive touch, we integrate in our nervous system. So that integration process have peculiarity. Why it is good for them to eat? Why it is tasty? And it could be some deficiency of nutrients. And if that happens and person starts to want to eat not eatable things, that may be something going on in the body metabolism. And it's good to go for checkup, I would say. For some people, this condition comes and goes. Are there some people who are always drawn to eating objects? There are very few, very few, I would say. And as I was saying, that it's surprisingly little research data on this. It's very difficult, you know, organizationally, um, how to investigate this quite rare um, situations. But I would say that all that process of preparation, especially for the young child, they need to create, how to say, strategy to wash salads, to wash cucumbers, for example, cut cucumbers. If the child does not touch food and they eat prepared food from, from plastic or, or paper bags, but they are not in that other process, I think it's very important. I was highly surprised if I remember well that was in Sweden kindergarten all the kindergarten group was baking um, bread. 
waiting to bake, feeling the smell, cutting, and, and it was kind of a ritual once per week, one morning. And I thought that it's very important, not only give possibility to play for kids, but also to be engaged in preparation of food. So there may be a disconnect when a child doesn't have a lot of experience with with touching and preparing food, then their idea of food may be broadened to things that are inedible. Did I get that right? Yeah. Also, another aspect is if we listen to our needs and tune to this, our organisms perhaps are very clever <laughs> and they, they give us signals what they want. And if the bodies of some children, even adults, give some signals for pika, things not eatable, they somehow give us a signal. We don't understand about this uh, still enough, I would say, but it's quite interesting, interesting topic. Do you think that children especially who eat inedible objects are eating it as an anxious reaction or is anxiety as far as you can tell not necessarily always a part of the equation it could be both because if you are anxious you eat or eating situation feed feeding situation uh, meals is together with anxiety together with fights uh, then people tend to eat when they are anxious and many parents Culturally, especially after war, two generations, two or three generations, they want to feed their children that they have, they, they were set. And now we see tendency that parents give a smartphone or, or planchet to kids and feed them. But child needs to have self-regulatory skills and abilities. What rhythm you take, when you want to take another meal and when how you do this it's self-regulatory very basic skills and if the child for various reasons have not developed this have not possibilities to develop for, for, for many reasons they they can eat eatable and not eatable things it could be like this and it could be related then later with eating disorders and according uh, ICD-11 diagnostic classification, it is now PICA, put like uh, for adults, it's in, in the chapter of eating disorders. So it is related. But in children, we see usually comorbidities. So this could be with other many aspects of, of developmental traits of the child. When I was a kid, I ate sand and cigarette butts, but I don't think it lasted very long. So if a parent is at the beach with their kid and they notice that they're eating sand and cigarette butts, what should they do? Observe. Because child is very curious. Every person in childhood have tasted sand, have tasted glue, have tasted, I don't know, water of river, water of sea, water of lake, some grass. But if it is not good for you, you don't eat kilogram of sand. But <laughs> if you take and you try, because now parents, are, some parents tend to be very worried. 
oh, there are some micro microbes, or how to pronounce, uh, or it's very dangerous or contaminated. That's worries from parents because natural immune system of child allows to try eat and try non-eatable things in the environment. Our immune system had to get into acquaintance about this, elaborate antibodies and things like that. So if parents are so worried and, oh, don't do this, that's also extreme, maybe in other side. But I would say that even cigarette, if you feel, you smell, it's not tasty for the child, usually. It's not possible to eat five, five cigarettes. No. No, I cut myself off at four. but you stopped you know somehow and it it goes naturally you know it 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 comes problem when it not uh, stops so sometimes when it's like a spectrum where we put boundaries i think that it's important to see that kids trying things and they know more about environment do you think there's anything good about having pika? It is uh, seen now that people who have sensory differences, sensory integration differences, processing difficulties or peculiarities, they see and perceive world a little bit differently. And that gives creativity in life. And they see from different maybe angles and perspectives If it is a little bit, not all cases, but in some cases related with mild autistic spectrum features, not disorders, but features, and in comorbidity, attention deficit hyperactivity, ADHD features, mild features, these people very creative, and they see and perceive world from other perspectives, and they think they give maybe more more colors into life and they are usually more visually capable people and their strengths is where is mechanic architectural visual cues better than verbal cues so many artists film directors musicians storytellers and writers also if they share with others, it's good. It's good for us, I would say. Well, did I miss anything? Is there anything else you want to add to this conversation about PICA? I would say from data of our study also, it has shown that those children who have PICA symptoms, they had also sensory issues in other fields. Visually, what they hear, what they touch, what they smell, peculiarities in the development, they need to have particular care when they grow up. And another finding was when we used strengths and difficulties questionnaire, uh, and they look and screen children with this questionnaire internalized so-called symptom and externalized symptoms. So these children tend to have internalized symptoms. It means that their inner world is very sensitive, that we need special attitude, special care, because it's related with 
inner emotional and mood mm, things and, and, and what they perceive. So these children, we need to take care maybe more and try to understand specificity of them and give good environment to grow up. And it was very surprised for me, that result, because I was thinking that those who have sensory integration peculiarities, usually they would have more externalized symptoms, so-called, but they had internalized. So it means that our emotional things, mood things, more peculiar, and also in relationship with peers, very specifically sensitive to this. So if we pay more attention to that aspects, we could more maybe tune to their needs to give them possibilities to feel better when they grow up. Well, Professor Sagita Lesinskine, thank you so much for talking with me. Many thanks that you invited me. After the break, what's it like to be a parent of a kid with pica? I still am fearful on a consistent basis. Um, I want to go every evening before bed and have an x-ray taken. I wish I had, you know what I mean? I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Pica is a condition where people, usually kids, eat inedible objects. It's more common in children who have sensory processing issues and other mental health conditions like OCD and ADHD. That's what 11-year-old Cameron Litchfield has, and his compulsion to eat objects landed him in surgery last year. He and his mom, Shannon, joined me to tell me about what happened right before that trip to the hospital. We had found in his room, he had these magnetiles. They're tiles that have magnets in them um, and they connect and he was building things with them all the time. He's had them since he was a baby. Well, we found the corners chewed up and the magnets being taken out. And then the um, screw plates, the like the screws and those started going missing. So you're like, oh, he's curious. Stop doing that. He's always playing with screwdrivers and taking things apart. He's curious. And it was actually my mom once who was like, you know, what if he swallowed a magnet? And I was like, no way. You know what I mean? Like it just, it didn't. It was grandma that first, first yeah. got the idea. Grandma had the idea first. and Grandmas can be pretty smart. Yeah, we just didn't really think that it was possible. And he continued to get sick and he continued to lose weight and he was really having stomach pain. And I just was like, let's take him to the ER. And I, I point blank said, I don't know if he ate a magnet or not. And I don't know if you got a chance to see the x-ray. I'm assuming you did, but it was terrifying. There was a abundance of magnets. You could see various types. You could see the circles ones stacked up. And then you could see the screws. But, you know, I, I wish that I could say I was exaggerating, but it was like 20 magnets. He also had a piece of um, 
they said rope, but we later found out it was yarn that was in his stomach and was exiting his stomach through, I believe it's called the pylorus and it created an ulcer. And then there was also a hole in his stomach, but the hole had adhesed to his colon. Um, so it wasn't like leaking gastric juices. It just kind of created scar tissue and adhesed to it. So they were like, we have to go into surgery. We're going into emergent surgery. They threw paperwork in front of us and, and then they left. Cam, how did you feel during this, both physically and in your heart and in your head? As soon as I heard that I'd need surgery, time just like stopped. I was like, Ugh, I'm scared. Yeah. And it didn't help hearing that I'd have to stay the night. And not just the night. I had to stay exactly a week. And I was just like terrified. And like, I've never stayed at a hospital overnight. I'm scared. To be quite uh, honest, he was really brave and everything. Every, it couldn't have gone better um, for all intents and purposes. Um, you know, there were a lot of hiccups in the road and scary situations, but I think that they did right by us. You know, there was one embarrassing moment where you caught all of the nurses standing around. I was on my way to use the restroom and they were all standing around a computer screen looking at the x-ray like amazed by it. Like, oh my gosh, you know, you could hear the comments and, you know, I work in veterinary medicine and had I seen a dog x-ray like that, I would have said the exact same thing, but it was my kid. You know what I mean? So it was kind of a it was a very emotional time, I guess I could say. So the surgery was a success. Did you get to keep the magnets and the string and the stuff? <laughs> no. No. Did you want to? <laughs> no. Why not? They're yours. Even if if I did, neither of them would let me. That's right. Cam, what did you like so much about the experience of eating objects? Was it the taste, the feel, the crunch in your mouth? Like, what, can you explain how it felt good to eat them? I, I don't exactly know what kept me doing it and, and why I ended up swallowing them because all I like I needed to was just chew. I don't know why I ended up swallowing them. I think that's one of the biggest things with Pika too is not only do the people not know why they're doing it, the doctors don't know why they're doing it. Um, nobody knows. So it's like an afterthought. It's, oh yeah, it's mentioned, but nobody knows what to do with it. So it's not pursued. You know, now we have a psychiatrist that we talk to about it. We have several diversion mechanisms. Um, we use a lot of gum now. What's your favorite flavor gum? Grape. Grape flavored candy is the best. So we had a, a pretty strict um, security plan at school as well, as far as people watching him and checking his pockets and his backpack, you know, and Everything was a red flag, whether it was a rock or an acorn or a paper clip or, or something. Um, so it was it was rough, I think, 
for him afterwards as well because it's, there was no trust. Yeah, I'm just like, please trust me, people. The only reason I did it is because I didn't know at the time. But he's, you're still chewing on things. Yeah. You just are not swallowing them, I hope. No, I haven't swallowed something. I haven't chewed on much. Some things I'm not supposed to. Just kind of like, hey, I just start doing it because I still kind of have the habit. Hey, but I'm doing really well at getting out of it. And then while I'm still chewing, I'm, be- I'm like, I got to stop. What are the objects that draw you, that entice you the most? It was probably some of my, most of my t- smaller Legos around round sh- one by ones. So you prefer round uh, objects? Yeah, because I was constantly hitting about like, as it goes down, it scratches my throat. So if it's round, it won't maybe hurt as much. Yeah. We have mixing bowls that have like rubber coatings on the handles and the bottom so they're no slip. And he's not on those and taken most of that off. Um, but it comes out. Yeah. You know, and um, prior to the x ray, and one of the other things that kind of prompted us was we had noticed things in his bowel movements um we you know there was a rubber glove piece at one point like the finger part of it you know what i mean and just little things that you were like should have been more red flags than we allowed them to be you know you you're optimistic about stuff and you just don't you don't want to talk about it because you don't want people to know that you allowed it to happen. But, you know, the, uh, the reality is, is I had no control over it. You know, I mean, he started growing up and getting independent and you're not keeping an eye on him all the time and keeping covers on electric sockets and stuff like that. You know, things didn't have to be baby proofed anymore. It seems obvious that one other challenge you have is wanting him to be independent and, you know, be a kid. Like, you know, he's 11 years old. He's going to run out in the world, go play. You don't want to have to worry about him or hang over him. And at the same time, you you do really want to keep an eye on him. How do you balance that? In the beginning... Um, we were very hovery. We were on him a lot and everything was being checked and everything was being questioned and it started to become the norm, but it was creating a lot of conflict and confrontation in the family dynamic. He was starting to hide from us and withdraw from us. And we were fighting a lot more about things and, you know, arguing, I should say, not fighting. And it got to be so much that we were, we were like, you know, maybe, maybe we need to start trusting him a little bit. Um, We had just had so many conversations and he, you know, he claims over and over he's learned his lesson and he's not going to do it. And, and you'll let up and, and everything's okay, but then you catch him doing something and you're like, Oh, but Letting up a little bit on things has made a significant change in trust with us as well as trust with him. 
he comes to us more and he's honest about things. Um, he wants to tell us stuff. And when you ask, he doesn't lie and hide things yeah. like he used to. So it's a very fine line. We walk of what to do. And I feel like it's going to be significant for, you know, a long time. At some point he's going to be an adult and, you know, maybe he grows out of it. Maybe he is growing out of it. Um, maybe he doesn't, and maybe it's a lifelong thing and, you know, God forbid he has, ever has to have surgery again, but people are in the family more educated now that we are watching for things and we would be more proactive. Um, so yeah, it's a juggling act. <laughs> I'm fine with having help sometimes, but I need more independence and if I say I can handle it. I can handle it. And if I say I'm okay, I'm that means I'm okay. But you understand everybody's hesitation, don't you? Mm-hmm. But it's still that I just hate independence. Kim, another thing that I just heard from your mom is how you tell the truth when people ask you for it. And you tell the truth when it's scary. And you tell the truth when it's hard. And I got to say, I don't think very many young people get the opportunity to learn how to do that or big people <laughs> either. And so I, this is easy for me to say on the outside. I recognize that. But it is exciting to me to think that one of the things that you can get out of this is being really good at saying difficult things when it really, really matters. Do you feel like you might be able to continue that tradition? Yes, 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 yes. As he scratches its chin. If I didn't be honest, I probably could have died. So from that, I realized how much being honest is important and how much it matters. I would, I'd like to get back to the feelings that you both are experiencing through all this. Um, Shannon, you've talked about shame. As a mom, as a person, and Cameron, you, you've alluded to it in yourself. You have some fear and some shame. And I, I'd like to hear about shame and how you hold it and what you'd like to do with it. It's just kind of embarrassing because I feel like people would think it's really gross and weird. And I know there's people at my school that I think I'm weird enough because I just be the person I am. He's uh, very well known as the class clown. He's a bit of a goofball. Yeah. Do you think that you use your class clownishness to overcome any embarrassment that you might feel? Like use a joke to like just kind of like change the subject or something or just like make a joke out of it? Yeah, make a joke so that it doesn't seem like it's as serious as it is, which is why some people didn't think that he was taking it seriously. And there was a lot of concern that he didn't understand what he did, but we, we talked about that and he wanted to focus on the positives. Yeah. And, you know, there's still things that are very um, alarming and make you worry. And there's constantly you know, did you eat that? Did you swallow that? Did you swallow something? Whenever and something tiny that they think Hank I'd be able to swallow goes missing, 
they immediately come to me and question me down like like they're the police and I'm the main sub suspect for like <laughs> killing someone. That's actually how it feels when you guys are questioning me like yeah. that. Well, what about when we found the stack of magnets the other day? I I kind of hid those because I was really scared that you guys would just be like, you ate those, didn't you? You know that we don't get mad, though. We just get really scared. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I just didn't want to have to worry, guys. I appreciate that, but it would worry me a lot less if you came to me and brought it to me than hide it from me, right? There were some, some good parts there, here, though. They had had amazing chocolate pudding. At the hospital? Like, I've never tasted pudding so good. Well, don't get any ideas about getting more pudding. Shannon, for you, as a mom, I'm not a mom, but word is that it's really hard. And um, this is hard in a different way. Uh, so how how is this for you? I still am fearful on a consistent basis. Um, I want to go every evening before bed and have an x-ray taken. I wish I had, you know what I mean? Or like in Star Trek when they would just do the scan. Yeah, just this, like if I had a metal detector, maybe just a, something like that. We have a metal detector. But I'm, Cameron wanted to say something. What did you want to say? Something that happened pretty recently that, I'm still kind of recovering from um, that kind of affected hit it was one of our dogs died. And I was just so sad. And was there anything I could have done? And they ended up not being able to think, Hank, and be like, wait, I shouldn't be eating this. And so there were, has a couple of things I chewed on, but hey, I was just in time able to not swallow it and realize, but yeah. First of all, Cam, I'm so sorry for your loss. And second of all, that shows such remarkable presence of mind while you're so sad to catch yourself. I hope, do you feel proud of that? I know, but still just sad about the dog. Yeah, but what about you, baby? You caught yourself you realized what you were doing it's kind of like with your stutter when you realize what's going on you can correct it right mm -hmm. and that's one of the things they talk about with like the OCD and the ADHD is that they really don't have any idea that they're doing it and you know which came first the chicken or the egg does the you know all the pica stuff come from those sorts of things did they cause it um, we had an appointment with a psychiatrist very shortly afterwards, and she showed me, you know, her book, The Bible of Psychiatry, and it has one tiny paragraph about pica. She's, she admitted, she said, nobody talks about it. Nobody knows anything about it, you know, and she encouraged me to go to medical conferences and start conversations and I'm still trying to get my life back together you know it still feels like it was April last week and we're still worried about things so I'm still figuring it out I think you're doing a really good job as far as I can tell you've got such a beautiful powerful kind funny human being who loves you because he's had his arms around you around you the whole time yeah so I think you're doing all right 
So Cam, if someone is hearing your voice and they also struggle with eating objects, wanting to eat objects, struggle the way you do, what is your advice or your wisdom for them um, so you can maybe help them cope with it or do it a little bit less? Remember that if you eat stuff like that, you could die. If you have to go get surgery and stuff, you'll have to be in the hospital for a while and you won't be able to see your, your beloved pets. Shannon, uh, same question for you as a parent. If someone's hearing this and they don't think it could be their kid, but it might be on the table, it could be maybe, possibly. What What do you wish you'd known or thought of before? I wish I had advocated for him sooner. Um, I wish that I had pursued the conversation about Pika more. I wish that I would have done more for him sooner, but I didn't listen to my instincts. I listened to what the doctors said and the doctors aren't his mom. And it's not, I, I never want to say that any of our doctors did us wrong. It's just, I don't think they knew what to do. You know what I mean? And I wish that people would just have that conversation more. Well, Shannon and Cameron Litchfield, thank you so much for talking with me. And Cameron, I'm going to head out and buy some grape gum and think about you every time I have a piece. You can get it in bulk on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It was a, a pleasure talking to you. Um, and I really appreciate your time and your ability to help spread some awareness. Thank you. No, thank you for helping me become famous. <laughs> we'll have more information and resources about PICA on our website, ctpublic.org slash audacious. Melody Rivera produced this episode with help from Jessica Severin Martinez, Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. And thanks to our interns, Carol Chen and Stacey Addo. We did another episode with someone who has OCD and ADHD. One Connecticut woman invited me into her home to talk about her relationship with hoarding disorder. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Send me your thoughts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf, or you can send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.